2: like trust your instincts don't do anything that you're going to be uncomfortable with make sure that you read everything when you're doing contracts make sure you're getting paid right and if you're on the other end make sure that you pay your people appropriately like don't jump at anything just because it looks good but you might go oh wow like this seems like a really good really good deal and then you'll regret it because you didn't do your prep work
0: Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast, the show that calls on the champions and new contenders of the tabletop RPG arena. My name is Jeremy Gage, and I am learning about tabletop game design and publishing. If you are a budding game designer or a veteran looking for fresh musings, stay tuned as we learn about the inspirations, processes, and philosophies of professionals in the industry. Hello, everyone. (laughs) <laughs> Good on time. Put it on. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Draw Your Dice podcast. As you heard in the intro, my name is Jeremy Gage. I am more than happy to bring a great guest who is actually outside of the brain trust this time. So if you've been listening to the show for a long time, this is my first out of out of trust guest. They are working on the Tidebreaker RPG. We're also going to get into their first jam project known as Desiccated and maybe some other pieces of game tech that they are going to go back to after Tidebreaker is done. I would like to welcome to the show Nick Butler. (sighs) Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here, Nick. Nick, as always on the show, first of all, thank thanks for being here. I'm glad that we could get connected. Shout out to Viditya Voletti, whose episode you should have already had last week based on our recording schedule. So thank you, Viditya, for connecting us. But Nick, as always on the show, for those who may not know you or may not be familiar with what you're working on, could you give a brief introduction of how you present yourself to the world?
2: I'm assuming you're talking like what my pronouns are
0: and stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Or anything yeah. else you want people to know about you?
2: Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Mm-hmm. Thirty-six sits from Connecticut. Follow my blade on Twitter. Highlight your boy. You know, like, just kind of like an accessible dude. So feel free to highlight uh, to at me. It's like wherever you can find me, you know what I mean? Like
0: Awesome, awesome. And secondly, I always like to kind of icebreak people in the show by having them by having you explain sort of maybe what was your first role-playing game that you got introduced to, and maybe what was the first game that sort of lit the spark for game design for you, sort of your, like, game design journey, if you will.
2: Ooh, 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 I love this question. Like, I get this question, (laughs) like, a lot. But, like, all right, so first role-playing game I played was uh, D&D 2nd Edition, right? Um, Definitely not the one that got me, like thinking about oh wow game design is awesome i could definitely do this but uh, the game that got me into game design and like realizing oh wow like people other than big companies like make this stuff was a, a little game called thrash by aaron clooney yeah aaron clooney you can find him at nico aaron and on twitter his name is spelled uh e-w-e-n no and the Neko is n-e-k-o it's like the cat in Japanese or whatever but like yeah he's a good dude like he's he did um, the translation for the main RPG and a couple other things like but Aaron's early work was uh really influential to like what I do now because mm. he was taking stuff from uh, Mike Portsmouth like one of his older t- titles I think it was Mechton and um the fusion system and whatnot which had, like, a lot, lot of, like, modifiers and thrash, so you could, like, build your own special attacks. So, like, if you wanted to do, like, a dragon punch from, like, Street Fighter, like, you could build that, right? And I was like, oh, I could, like, <laughs> I could show you people. What? Yeah, hell yeah. A duck? Because, like, cause, like in Dungeons & Dragons, like, you can show you people, but then they'd be like, okay, a rolling on armed attack, but you're not a monk, so, like, roll it with penalties and things and then maybe get punched in the face for your effort because you're not trading on <laughs> arm strikes. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, flavor shuriken, but don't roll a shuriken. Thanks.
2: Yeah, like but th- get none of the benefits of doing a dragon punch. But Thrasher's <laughs> like, do you want to get a knockdown for this? Would you like to add fire for it? Would you like to anti-air mm. people? Like I'm like, Yes. <laughs> yes I would. I want all of this. Thank you. Uh
0: I like hearing some fighting game terminology as you talk, too. I'm a big, like, Smash slash Soul Calibur player, so.
2: Hate the first one, love the second one. I have, like, a bad history with Smash. Yeah. But Soul Calibur, on the other hand, like, that's that's a game we could talk about for days.
0: (laughs) Blood and darkness.
3: Yeah, but anybody that's
2: heard me talk before, like, uh, any interviews or just, like, they've hung out with me on Discord, they know, like, I am a huge 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 fan of fighting games like i want more people to get into them like fighting games have like this like really high skill floor which is unfortunate mm-hmm. well with yeah. the exception of like smash because like smash is just, like hey like i can hit up b and then suddenly i'm dragon punching people yeah and yeah, people yeah. are like oh my god i can do that and then you get into it and you're like oh now i now I can do like crazy stuff like wave dashing and like doing all these like little like fancy cancels of like your shield and rolling and stuff which is kind of like uh It's just, like, it's it's a cool thing, like, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, like, the the more, like, I started talking to people about Smash, like, even though I don't like it personally, because, like like I said, I had a bad history of it in high school, so I don't play it for personal reasons, but... Mm -hmm. I also ended up not really thinking of it highly as a fighting game either until I started talking to people that were like, no, dude, like Smash is hella technical. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And I started seeing like what Smash was really about. And I was like, yeah, it's cool. But yeah, like Soul Calibur is my thing now.
0: And it's even interesting to talk about the dichotomies between those two sorts of games, right? Because especially when we talk about game design in general, about how you know, Smash is a fighting game with sort of the technicality slightly pulled out of it, right? It's to mm. create the party format or the local couch format that, like, you can have friends over and just play a fighting game that, like, you're not getting trounced on by when, when like, a Ryu main comes in on your Street Fighter day. You know what I mean? Like, that guy's not gonna play Ryu badly, but you yeah. might have, like, someone just wants to play Kirby for fun and can still play the game, right?
2: Yeah, Ryu, got buffed in Street Fighter V because he <laughs> he was hot garbage until just like yeah. two weeks ago, and everyone on Twitter has just been like, ah, "Ryu is playable," <laughs> 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 because like you know if you're not like 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 M D Z Jimmy or like Daigo, like like Ryu sucks <laughs> or sucked, right?
0: But it's, it's just, all like, about that dedication to a main, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah,
2: I mean like as a Ryu main, like shout out to Capcom, thank you, like. F-
0: Finally, fucking finally. <laughs> I love it, dude. We'll we'll definitely have to have you on, on a on a more personal fighting game talk back here. I love it. Yeah, uh, it's
2: like but um game design wise, it's like I like to talk about fighting games a lot mm-hmm. for for tabletop stuff because yeah. I believe that there's a lot of technical stuff that you can pull from fighting games mm-hmm. and not just fighting games but any any other format right but like I specialize mm-hmm. in fighting games so that's what I talk about specifically Absolutely but I do believe in pulling from from everything from movies from 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 video games from board games from just like anything that you can find out in the world mm-hmm. like if you have an idea that you can get from that like it just matters like how you're able to interpret that into the medium of your choice, right?
3: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
2: For, for me, like stuff like stuff like like the concept of like a up, right? Where mm-hmm. it's just like in particular, like in a particular instance, like Street Fighter has like high-low attacks. It has like strong, heavy, fast attacks, right? And it's got that on kicks and punches. So you have all of these options, like sits options, standing up, sits options, crouching, and sits options in the air. Mm-hmm. And then you have special moves on top of that. <laughs>
0: Right, and then let's not even get guilty gear into the situation. You know what I mean? Guilty Just gear is simpler in, like in that matter. because yeah, guilty really? gear only
2: has four buttons um, instead doesn't of six. Does have five? No.
0: Oh, six. You're right. I see. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, got yeah, light,
2: yeah. medium, heavy slash and drive, and yeah, drive. The other has usually like doesn't have a crouching or or aerial variant. Well, it yeah, has an aerial yeah. variant, but the aerial variant's usually just like a downward smash for most characters. Do you hear
0: this professor going off in here about fighting games? Everyone,
2: <laughs> yeah, but like, um, before like I turned the whole thing into like a Street Fighter, uh, <laughs> 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 uh like seminar, right? But the the main idea, like with mitts-ups, right, is that you have mm-hmm. these different options. But like, if you simplify it, like the most fighting games have like this very simple triad, right? Where, Mm -hmm. like, you have strikes, you have throws, and then you have blocking. Okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Like, strikes beat throws, throws beat blocks, and blocks beat Mm -hmm. strikes. Okay? And, like, when you're adding jumping, crouching, dashing, or whatever, whatever, you're just adding a little more complexity to this very simple thing. Okay? Mm -hmm. And, like, I took that, and I was like, how do I apply that to a tabletop RPG? Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And my current game, Tidebreaker, focuses specifically on that. Like, I tend not to, like, talk about it too much in the text, like, uh, explicitly, because I don't want to scare people off of, like, oh my god, fighting games, I have to press buttons in this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, you just roll dice, Isn't that it's okay. is that what you're
0: doing when you play any RPG, right? Like, when you're playing, you know, yeah, you know IV, people are like, push the smite button, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, but people are like, oh my god, like, they think about fighting games and they think about, like, the... The, the technical aspect of it, where it's just mm-hmm. like having to like do all of the directional inputs and things, inputs, and yeah. then yeah, and then they get scared, right? But like, you know, so I don't want to like traumatize people by going, yeah, it's fighting games, like yeah, yeah. it is, but it's not because it's still it's just dice, right? But anyway, sure. um, I digress. So like, the the point is like with mix-ups and tiebreaker, right? The idea is that the attacker doesn't get the choice for what they're for what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. As far as like uh, what stack they're rolling it's the mm-hmm. defender because mm-hmm. like in a fighting game like the attacker has to overcome the defender's defense or else they're not getting hits you know mm-hmm. like they can swing all day long but if the but if the defender's blocking it doesn't matter right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh so the the basic premise is that in Cyberbreaker you have blocking and you have dodging
3: hmm
2: okay so the defender can choose the block or dodge and if they're blocking the attacker rolls might and if they're dodging the attacker rolls agility and then your abilities have some of them can be built with what are called on contact or on dodge effects mm-hmm. and on the on contact effects if your opponent is blocking you get that effect no matter what hmm. and vice versa with the on dodge so like if your character's like facing somebody that's mid matched like one way, versus mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I've got the maximum block, so you'll never hit me because I'm just gonna keep blocking. And you go, cool. So I'll just keep hitting you if it's on contact effect until you decide to start dodging.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you know, we dive more into it. Why don't you give for people who may not be familiar with Tidebreaker, give a brief pitch about like what Tidebreaker is.
2: Yeah, well, so I just kind of like went into most of the, <laughs> the like the technical side for Tiebreaker's combat, but like and that's even that is more going like deeper into the game. Like mm-hmm. Tiebreaker is a cinematic tabletop RPG that focuses mostly on collaborative world building. And then we then we dabble into like the tactical stuff too. Like, like if you like that kind of thing, we've got tons of it, but <laughs> to play it on the base level like really you're just going to go in there you're going to grab your die pool you're going to describe what you're doing and then you're going to get more dice for it and then things will get melted <laughs> 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 yeah right. so like it's it's a power fantasy like if you sure. if you wanted to play like a like a really strong anime character or like a Jason Bourne or something like that tiebreaker is what you're going to use to unleash that side of your Of your role playing, okay, Mm -hmm. like like we're very player focused, okay, and Mm -hmm. this also means the GM. GMs are players too. Like I'm, you know, like I got I got you, GMs. Like you're not gonna just go, (laughs) oh my god, my player's gonna stomp over everything that I roll. Yeah, Uh, we got tools to be a
0: fucking punching bag for.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like you're not the trading dummy. I (laughs) promise you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like but like yeah, the broad pitch there. It's cinematic role playing lots of narrative fluff mechanics in there, collaborative role-building, mixed with, Mm -hmm. like, tactical, very light crunch. Mm -hmm. You know, because I can't do math, so I'm not going to design a game with a lot of math.
0: (laughs) Sure, sure, (laughs) I'm tracking. One of the, to circle back to sort of delineating fighting games or taking inspirations from a lot of places into games. One of the things we connected about or that Viditya connected us through is you were having a conversation on Twitter about meters and trying to execute those inside of a game. And with that conversation and another conversation I was having in the brain trust, I came up with I'm making this game that's delineating from like Magic the Gathering, but I also have like big anime inspirations for like how combat how I want combat to work, right? So I came up with this thing for disciplines, and each discipline has a four, six, eight, and ten clock on them. Ooh, and each sexy. clock has each clock has a different tick trigger. So like one tick trigger might be Uh, Tick this clock whenever you knock down an opponent. And then when it fills, it activates like this super move. So like gain an extra action this turn or double the amount of damage you're putting out or something to that effect. So for a long time, I've been trying to figure out, because I play games like Final Fantasy XIV and World of Warcraft and stuff like that. So it's about... Managing your energy or your rage or your paladin meter or whatever have you, your oath meter, and then using spending that additional resource besides like mana and stuff like that to execute on more tailored abilities. So thank thank you for that is basically what I'm ultimately saying.
2: I like what you're doing with that. It's really cool. It reminds yeah. me of this guy on the RPG Reddit Discord I used to be on. Uh, his name was GameDis. He's not on there anymore either, if I recall. But he had a game where it had a similar concept with, like, having different pools that you added your meters into. But, like, his was more of, like, you added dice to each of those things when you hit a cer- certain criteria. And then when the dice were full, you could do, like, a super move. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. using that particular meter. Like, um, mm-hmm. Which, like, kind of opened my eyes to, like, the whole idea of just, like... I can add super meters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I I've been like, exactly. I've been sitting there like, man, like how do I do this without ripping off disc? Hey. But yeah, I love your idea. Like that thing. That sounds cool, man. Like what? I played the shit out of that.
0: <laughs> what basically what I was trying to execute was like I wanted I didn't want something to be like a superpower by chance. I wanted it to be something where like the player could work towards a goal of an ability. And this was in tandem with I think it was actually Viditya who brought it up in the brain trust was talking about making just a playbook out of clocks. Like if you play a warrior and you fill up the warrior's ten clock, you get to do some cool physical feat or something like that. Or you get to protect someone or whatever. So taking both of those ideas is kind of what created this clock system. And then there's uh, like, there's other pieces of the game. Like I, I, I don't know how familiar you are with like blades in the dark and stuff like that. Or. Yeah. I like I heard, I
2: heard from. clocks and I was like, yeah. oh, okay, cool. shout out to John Harper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I also uh,
0: came up with this small thing called thresholds. Where inside each of the clock segments, you would write a little like acronym or shorthand. So maybe it's something like if it was a monster Mm -hmm. and it has a fire breath ability. So I might write FB in a segment of a clock. And then when that specific segment ticks, it can do a lot of things. But in one iteration, it can weaken a foe and they can't use fire breath anymore. Like you can narratively say like, oh, I, you know, I sliced the dragon's throat. And now it can't fire breath anymore. That's what that tick narratively means. Ooh. Or the opposite is that it unlocks that ability. So like it's an enraged timer thing where like you hit tick three. It now has fire breath. And this thing is going to fucking truck you.
2: Yeah. So it's like uh, a mechanized foreshadowing kind of too.
0: Absolutely. You can put like Grimportant things for factions in it. I was trying, basically my inspiration was raid fights from like World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy fourteen because I love them. I The whole reason I've even played any of those MMOs is strictly for the raid PVE content because it's like this intricate dance you have to learn. And so, but I couldn't figure out a way to build like an AI system I was happy with until the threshold clock combination because that's all raid fights are. The timer starts and this program is now ticking off and it's like okay at three minutes i will now switch phases right so i wanted to get something that was like how do you how do you switch phases without putting it in, like in a loose form in someone's hands right because one of the things i don't like about like when you think about difficulty challenges in D D 5e it's a little wonky because it depends on the gm you're playing with it depends on the players you're playing with it's like a difficulty check 17 Might mean 1000 different things. Yeah, depending on who's interpreting it. There's a little bit too much fiat behind it. Like having something a little bit more
2: concrete does sound like pretty good. Um, Yeah, so putting that threshold system in there. That's definitely uh, a very much like a two-taste kind of thing, like seasoning that game a little bit. Like, I personally love those kind of things. Like, I like structure.
0: Sure. Because uh, for me, Me like,
2: structure allows me to improvise around it.
0: Exactly. Because,
2: like, I'm, I'm more of the kind of guy that's just, like, if I play in a structured environment, how much can I do to fuck around that structure?
0: Right, exactly. How much can I push on it before it breaks? Yeah, it's
2: just, like, <laughs> let me, like, do everything... That I wasn't supposed to do, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, directly. Like, any anything they didn't tell me to explicitly do, I want to see if the game lets me do it. Also, I just don't like prep work, so, like, I figured, yeah. like, if I put as much structure into my game, so the game is doing the prep work for
0: me. <laughs> yeah, I like, I'm a big fan also of, like, procedural generation and then, like, The prep work comes after the fact, not before the fact, right? So, like, you roll up a bunch of tables, you're playing in the moment, and then you can take notes afterwards of, like, okay, so this is what we saw, this is what the building was like, et cetera, et cetera. Like, kind of a recording versus a, yeah, like an after sort of thing, yeah. Ooh, that's kinky. I like it. If you, I don't know if you ever played, like, Band of Blades or read through the book. uh, I have not. I I know very
2: little about Band of Blades.
0: That's totally fine. There's mission generation in the book, but it only has you generate missions after you find out what the commander role is interested in as a rewards. So like if the, if the commander is like, I would really like to do more missions that give us morale for everyone. Cool. So if I roll randomly, that says like there's a commander's focus mission now, I have that mission to prep. It's sort of like an after the fact rather than a before the fact uh, kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah.
2: Like I kind of vaguely remember hearing something around that. But yeah, that definitely yeah. fills the gap in that little bit yeah. of knowledge I had there.
0: Ooh, prep, that's really after, after cool. prep design instead of before prep design.
2: That is really cool.
0: Iron Sworn does something similar to this when you think about like the Oracle mechanics, and Iron Sworn Delve has like. This D100 table where it's like... Folk, like, I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I hear Iron Sworn every time I do an interview. I'm sorry I haven't read it yet. I'm going to read it. (laughs) Like, my next day off, I promise. Like, I I won't do another interview until I've read Iron Sworn, Okay. (laughs) It's Apparently really it's really freaking good.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's got really good stuff going for it for sure, and I love what Sean Tonkin has has done for the game. But enough. Uh, I mean, I guess this is live iterations. So this is partially what the show is all about. But it's
2: just like geeking out over like fighting games <laughs> and tables and stuff.
0: So, to my understanding, you were brought on to the Tidebreaker project, or you you were co oh making, yeah what's, the, so, what's what's going on there so
2: here's the story i've told this once or twice before um, sure. tidebreaker like i, I mentioned the, the reddit server for on discord yeah. for rpg design right so i met smunchy from Smunchy games on that server mm-hmm. and he was he was looking for designers to help him with, with making some of his games and i was like hey man i'm the best in this server like screw all those guys right mm-hmm. and he was like okay sure and I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, no, seriously, I'll prove it. <laughs> uh, like, uh, I will make you a game. Give me one month.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And if you don't like this, you don't have to do anything. But if you like sure. it, hire me and I'll finish it for you. And he was like, bet. And so, like, I, I pulled out <laughs> the prototype for a tiebreaker, like, out of my mm-hmm. ass, like, within, like, a month. It was originally called, like, Octane, but, like... uh mm-hmm which, like, I really like that name, but somebody else made it, and it was basically, like, some, like, twisted metal kind of, like, uh, racing game or whatever. Um, yeah. It was a tabletop RPG, but it was more, like, about cars and stuff, which yeah. fits a lot better. So, like, you know, like, I have no ill will towards that. Like, shout out to Yeah, knocking. yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so, like, we ended up having to change the name, and I changed a couple of the things, but, like, I won the bet.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: so, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, for, like, a, year and a half or so, like I was working on Tidebreaker for a little bit. And then we basically had to like mutually split ways because like it wasn't sustainable for his business. Cause uh, he mm. did numbers on parcelings. Right. But you know, Kickstarter like did this thing where it's just like, you can't put out like multiple Kickstarters. Anymore until, like, you've had, like, your your previous one fulfilled. So, like, mm-hmm. it was kind of like, hey, man, like, we're doing this thing with parcelings and we got to fulfill that. And then his, his flagship title, like, Pass, was, like, very close to completion. And, like, mm-hmm. he's going to have to do that, too. So, like, it was pretty much either, like, I get put on the back burner for a couple of years or I venture out myself. Sure. So, I was like, look, man, like, I've been doing this thing on Twitter for, like this entire time like like we've gotta i gotta i gotta do this work man you know what i'm mm-hmm, saying or else people mm-hmm. are gonna forget about it mm-hmm. and then like we sit there and we wait for a while and it's just gonna be like i i'm not a patient guy <laughs> sure,
0: sure sure and there's also something about like keeping momentum when it comes to something people are excited about
2: yeah and if you've got if you've read that's a pun. Momentum is <laughs> 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 no, one of our meters in the game. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so like we we parted amicably. Smokey's still a good friend of mine. I, I see him as a mentor. Like he's a good dude. But like we couldn't we couldn't continue to do Tidebreaker Justice together. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, yeah. I I had to take take the reins myself, which like it hurts. Like I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's hard, hard. It's hard when you have a myself. partner.
0: It, it's hard. Yeah, I dude. It takes a village for sure. There's no doubt about that. And it's hard when you have someone who, like, really is as passionate about the project as you are, but at some point... The parallels are just not aligning anymore. And that yeah, can be Yeah, like
2: Smunchy's an amazing businessman. He's a good dude. Like, um, mm-hmm. he, he's from Texas. So, like, he was out, like, during that snowstorm thing. Like, he was just out, like, knocking on everybody's doors, like, buying them food and gas and stuff. Like, like Smunchy is a good guy. Like, I'll follow him at Smunchy Games on Twitter. You know, like, try to grab a copy of Parslings. Like, support, mm-hmm. support my homies, man. Like, because, you know, they do good work. You know, Mm -hmm. like, uh, Mm -hmm. like, I'm still cool with all of them. But
0: yeah, back to to my stuff. (laughs) Hey, it's all, listen, my show is about both game design and the business of game design. And sometimes that also involves relationships and collaborations and partnerships. So all of it's all of it's good, good juice here. It's all good juice. Yeah, yeah. I dig it. I dig it. (laughs) On the, also to talk about sort of inspirations from, games and and maybe there's something else to be taken here. What I like about this particular episode that's happening here is that for a couple of my guests, we don't really talk that much about like video game delineation. And so it's nice to have someone else who has like that video game inspiration that kind of folds into their systems. I've been trying it's on the back burner now because Kaleidoscope is kind of like taken up my entire brain storage system. But I was working for a little bit on a Devil May Cry slash Bayonetta system where you like when you were talking about mix ups, that's what brought it to my mind again, was that you rolled different size dice and you could switch up moves depending on the dice size and things like that. And you had different stances that are like, because what I what I want to inspire
2: doing it. Yeah,
0: there's I definitely want to inspire like more lateral movement in character options. Yes. Yes. Like. I don't, I don't necessarily love, like, just the concept of the playbook or just the concept of the class. Because the class is, like, the tool set, right? It's where these are all the tools available to you and you can't learn any other tools. And I'm like, ah! and then there's the playbook where, like, this is the character concept and then this is, these are all the tools that are available to the character concept. Yeah. And it's like, both of those, both of those are fine, but for me, I like... Like if my character is to evolve, learn, grow, or mm-hmm. fail or whatever, there has to be instances where like I have to be able to change up my tactics on how I interact with the world, right? Regardless of what style of game that is, whether it has combat or not. But thinking about like okay, like in for Kaleidoscope, all of the disciplines. So the big big delineations for Magic the Gathering and. There's the colors of Aether that are in the world, which are based on like the layers of the stratosphere and stuff like that. And then the disciplines are based off of deck archetypes. So like you have one discipline that's aggro, you have one discipline that's control, you have one discipline that's mid-range. And I want you to be able to no one likes playing the same deck for a long time, so it's like hey, and not every hey, color hey, works hey. with every deck. No, listen. No,
2: red deck wins only, everybody <laughs> else can burn. <laughs> Hi, this
0: podcast is over, so <laughs>
2: Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Support your fireballs. Add some more mana to it. <laughs> yeah. Burn all the things.
0: Bye. More, like. lightning, bolts. more <laughs> lightning bolts. More
2: lightning bolts. More lightning bolts. Fork those bitches. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> like, literally, um, magic puns. Let's get it. Then I'm Tish. I, I myself, am a
0: mid-range <laughs> player, which is the purest way to play magic. So, you know, whatever. Get over <laughs> aggro. Get under control, dude. Eh. <laughs> go wide. Go wide. But the point is that, like, I love when games present lateral options that I can flex into because you don't know. No plan survives contact with the enemy. So why I bring that up is that no character concept survives contact with a game that you're playing for the first time. Because if you're like, if you're playing D&D and you're like, okay, I want to play a druid and then mm-hmm. you're playing the druid for like maybe five sessions or so. And like, man, the fighter looks really fucking cool. I hate worrying about spell slots. How do you change? Right. Other than like, T- totally, like I mean, classic
2: into fighter, like, basically, yeah, it's
0: like multi-classing. Yeah. There are some options there, but the big option is like, do you just change character concept wholesale and then you have to learn a new class? And it doesn't really function the way the same way with like stats or different skills or proficiencies or whatever. The game kind of fights you when you want to change concept whole, yeah, like, whole hog, yeah, not just like hog. subclass, but like, I want to be the fighter now. So Konzella, I want to create games. Just do everything. Card, and I also, that can for the turn DMC into a really game,
2: big thingy. And I can just do, every, like I hit harder than the fighter. I have as many options as the wizards. I can heal. I can do like, yeah, Godzilla yeah, On like, balance. It's just like, oh, it's dumb. <laughs> uh,
0: so yeah, I want, I want to inspire lateral movement in yeah. games. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
2: sorry, D and D. I don't want to inject so much salt into this because, like, I have I have opinions.
0: <laughs> I also have opinions. I share them very briefly on the show, but this is not this show is not about a dunk fest on a game that is not is one of many games. That's all I'll say at the end of the day. Is one of many games.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, but yeah. lateral movement options. I love it. get
0: it yeah i i was even inspired by like i was looking up like fighter design archetypes from fighting games like the shoto class the the zoner the oh shit the grappler the you know all those sorts of archetypes of like how people start creating their fighting games and then they you know obviously branch out by mixing up the the style of the moveset or whatever but yeah you know
2: yours do like more heavy rushdown or like yeah mitts up kind of characters
0: i love rushdown characters (laughs) that's just me
2: (laughs) Are you like like an Ibuki main? Just like and people to death.
0: Yeah. <laughs> every day, dude. Every day. Do just you like, like
2: it? I'm gonna jump back and throw daggers, and then I'm just gonna like dash in and v skill people to death. Yeah. Let's <laughs> go.
0: I'm not as technical as you are, but yes, that's the kind of I like being aggressive. I like playing aggro mid range decks. I like just. Playing the game, dude. <laughs> like playing the game. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like I, I play Ryu when I'm in fighting games, but I'm like hyper aggressive in like everything else. Like I like I said, like I'm a burn player.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, it's, yeah.
2: it's the only honest way to play magic.
0: Get me out of here. Anyways. Can I can I dig into that just to, just for a second? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, like, 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 dig look, into the red deck like, wins.
2: Like the philosophy behind it is like in Magic the Gathering, right? Like you, you have like these cards, they're in your hand because you're supposed to be like, oh, hey, I have any of these tricks in my hand. You don't know exactly what I'm going to do. Like, Mm -hmm. I play a burn deck. You know what I'm going to do. I'm Mm going to hit you.
0: Yeah, I don't want to play with your cards. I just want to win the game.
2: Yeah, it's like, I'm not looking to counter anything you're doing. The only thing (laughs) I'm looking to counter is your health value. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I really don't care if that creature is going to hit me for 20 net's turn because... I'm going to hit you for three, seven times in a row. That's 21. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's all I have to do. You know what I'm doing next turn. I'm dropping a mountain. I'm turning that bitch sideways and dropping the Thunderbolt on your head. Like, (laughs) like tell me that is not the most honest strategy possible. Like, there's no variations to it. It's just the, like, am I going to hit you for three or am I going to hit you for five? Or am I going to hit you for seven? Or am I going to hit you for, like, ets, right?
0: Listen, dude, <laughs> like, <laughs> mid-range, listen, you interact with the whole game when you play mid-range, all right? You get to interact with their cards, they feel like they're playing, and then the victory is so much sweeter when they realize they couldn't stop your army from marching on the field. But is it more honest, though? It's so much more honest. What do you mean? It's the big brain. It's the big brain. <laughs> yeah, but you're big braining. So I like, love big braining. That's I'm not saying it's I'm not,
2: games. I'm not saying it's invalid. I'm just saying it's just like, oh, you you've got strategies and stuff and and tricks and <laughs> things, right? Like like there, there's a thing that's just like, wow, I wasn't expecting him to do that like when you're playing that kind of playstyle, right? Which is cool. It's effective. It will beat me. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, I'm not saying Red Deck wins is the best strategy. I'm saying it's the most honest strategy, right? Because just, like, there was only one thing I am doing. I do not change. <laughs> I hit you directly for three.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. All right, so Well, no, we're good. I- uh <laughs> So I think that will move us into the next uh, sort of segment of the show, Design Trends. So, Nick, what are you seeing in your social circles, Reddit, Discord, Twitter, whatever have you, about trends that you're really excited about that are coming into the design space, things that you keep noticing over and over again or that people are calling for? Or maybe what are some trends in internally that you have that you kind of want to speak like you want to see more like that you want to speak into the ether
2: oh geez i like honestly i don't see too much as far as like design trends going on on twitter too often mm-hmm. because like for better or worse like indie twitter indie rpg design twitter is kind of like a really more of, like, a personal place where people are just kind of, like, hey, I'm trying to talk about my day, I'm talking about these things that are bothering me, but, like, like we don't talk about game design too much there, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, and on the days that they do, I'm at work. Like, you know, like... <laughs> sure, sure. Like, so I ended up missing, like, the, like, the big, like, does mechanics even matter, like, arguments mm-hmm. and stuff, because, like, we tend to go through, like, the same, like, three or four arguments, like, every week there, right? Mm-hmm. But, so, like, so, like... Uh, Generally, like, I don't get to talk game design too often with other folks Aww. because they're not talking about that. Like, the last time I saw someone talking about it was Brandon Leon. Yeah, he's a smart dude. But he was talking about how he's finding these... uh these games including mine which tend to blend like a lot of narrative options with crunchy stuff and like how he was enjoying that where like that's becoming more of a trend so because i guess people are just like hey like i want my fluffy bits but i also like dabbling with like lots of character options and stuff right Um, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of why i started making tiebreaker the way it is because like i like that so i figured if i like mm-hmm. it there's gotta be somebody else that does it, right but yeah like he was talking about that and how some folk like Eldritch crow who, who made aether was doing similar things, right? Like I can't remember who else he mentioned because, like, it's been a while since he posted that thread, so like, probably like a month or two, right? But mm. yeah, oh, uh, Flying Circus, like Flying Circus mm. was doing that too. But yeah, Brandon, Brandon was talking about like these these narrative games that have more crunch. So like, I'm kind of excited to see if folks like myself and Crow and like and uh, some other folk like start kind of moving more towards that end because, like, mm. before it was just kind of like how much more can we do with, with Powered by the Apocalypse, right? And like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like hacking that to death to fit like every single kind of like narrative theme possible. Right. Which like, it's a great design space because it lets you do pretty much everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you have, if you know the tropes of the, of the genre that you're working in, like you can make absolutely anything with Powered by the Apocalypse and make that shit stick. Like it's Mm -hmm. fucking fantastic. Meg Baker is like a good friend of mine. And so Mm -hmm. like, I'm always shouting out Meg for, for stuff because like what she did with, with her and Vincent, um, they made a game design phenomenon. Like it is on, like there's no argument like that. It's not a thing. Cause like if you've been on indie RPG, indie Twitter at all, like everybody has pretty much made a PBTA hack. And if they haven't, they've been thinking about it <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what i mean so it's like it's undeniably it's just like a force of nature like but like i'm interested in seeing people hack other stuff
3: mm-hmm.
2: or or make systems like from scratch you mm-hmm. know because like i want to see like a lot more just straight up like innovation in in the game dev. Because, like, it's cool that you can make stuff, like, really quickly and just kind of, like, worry more about your settings and things and, like, getting all of, like, the the fluff stuff that you want. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's a very valid, like, school design, right? Like, I'm more personally interested, obviously, in just making things, like just off the top of my head for the most part. Like, I might take a, a mechanic or two here from another system. Because, like, like who hasn't done dice pools, right? Like, <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, exa- yeah exactly. Exactly.
2: Like my, my dice pool system's not special. <laughs> like, not, not because it has dice pools, right? Like, like, <laughs> like, oh, no. Like, wow. Like, we haven't seen this in the 90s from, like, everybody since White Wolf, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? But, like, taking other things. Just, like, I like... I really liked the hero point pools, you know, mm-hmm. and I wanted to see more stuff like that because, like, you had things from like Fate, from I believe Mutants and Masterminds has one. Champions, mm-hmm. like uh, hero point pools, are cool because, like, you you have this like little currency to just go, hey, you know what? This thing is true. Or, hey, like, I can now, like, instead of dying, I can spend, like, three points and then add, like, a crap ton of bonuses to my character to mm-hmm. do that thing that I imagine I'm doing, you know?
3: Because,
2: mm-hmm. like, it's just, like, a limited opportunity to say, screw these regular mechanics that are making me not feel awesome, right? Like, let me mm-hmm. do this instead and be as awesome as I'm supposed to be, you know? So it's, like, stuff like that, it was stuff that, that made me made me happy, you know, and like I like things that increase player agency and stuff, right? But like yeah. that's going besides my point of saying just like, hey, like I want to see what you can do to change tabletop RPGs. You know, like to make mm-hmm. them different. You know? Like to like push the envelope. Like just kind of like like explore other like avenues you know like maybe there's more stuff that can make it closer to like board games you know like and i know a lot of people think that's like a dirty word right it's just like why would i add board game shit to my tabletop rpg you Mm. know because like it might make things more interesting you know like if you can fit into your premise like you know like if you made monopoly into a tabletop rpg and then made it (laughs) stick it's just like because you know monopoly was supposed to be like this anti-capitalist game and then it just kind of became like well, Monopoly, but like if you take, yeah. <laughs> but like say like, let's 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 dive into it for like like two minutes, right? So like say I, I took Monopoly's like base mechanics, right, or whatever they are, because I can't even remember how Monopoly works outside of going around a board.
0: <laughs> it's money and moving. That's yeah, basically it's money movement, right? And uh, executing events, right? Drawn events.
2: Yeah, like in some cards and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like if we took that. And then, like, say, like, we took those cards and then said, "Your like made characters for for this Monopoly RPG, and your cards could say, like, it's uh, based on my character ability. I drop this card, and now I have Park Place. And when I get Park Place, I get X. Okay, mm-hmm. and then you can build characters based off of that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then that board can be like an arena and you can change that Monopoly board instead of making it like how many spaces Monopoly has. maybe make it like a 10 by 10 grid or
0: something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and make you, it get a kind of like a hex crawl map situation. Yeah. And
2: make like, turn Monopoly into like a hex crawl thing. But like you start from Monopoly and then you start changing things differently. But because like you're going, hey, this is more now a game about like because we're talking about hex crawls. Mm-hmm. Um, saying it's more about like, what is that, that terrible thing that we do? Like colonialism. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: Yeah. You're like, you're just playing like explorers or just like capturing people's lands and just being like the big evil bad guy. That's like just doing like terrible shit. Right. Mm-hmm, and then making mm-hmm. it a game about that. And then maybe like adding some mechanics for, for people rebelling against you and you getting your dress desserts because you're a colonial asset.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put your shoe in the other foot, show you how bad it is. Yeah, but like that starts
2: from going. Hey, what if I hacked fucking Monopoly and turned it into a game, like a tabletop right. RPG? Right. And what then, if like, I
0: hacked Street Fighter, turned it into a game? Right.
2: Yeah. So, like, but you take you could take stuff like that and then and then explore the design space to make more interesting tabletop RPGs
0: mm-hmm, and do things
2: mm-hmm. that tabletop RPGs tend not to do. You know.
0: Yeah and in tandem getting it from getting other people who have been kind of shut out of the scene to make different games as well. Right. Because there's, I have some conversations with friends every once in a while about how, when we talk about film, they're like, there's no more original stories. I'm like, that's not true. What there is, is there are not any more original stories from the same pool of people. Mm -hmm. But once we start introducing people of color, people of gender into the scene, We get things like Brokeback Mountain, right? Like, that was a phenomenon. Yeah. And I'm sure there were. Listen, I'm no expert. Like, like, get out, dude. Like, exactly, exactly.
2: What if we let black folk do horror movies instead of killing them in the first five minutes in horror movies?
0: (gasps) Right. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. (laughs) What? Uh, But for real, it's like there are so many other ways to gain new insights into all sorts of mediums and it's about letting go of what is safe or what quote unquote works right because that's how some publishing companies work right like yeah some of the older more trad stuff is like eh, i don't know if this would sell to our marketing to your base. core audience who right? gives a shit yeah like, exactly you, you already
2: have your flagship title at this point big traditional yeah. companies put out another yeah. game
0: like yeah, i, I would love
2: to see wizards put out another rpg
0: is it someone who just said that? I think I literally just had someone on the show that said that exact thing. Or no, it was someone in the brain dress, but they were like, what if Wizards just made a different game? Yeah, like they it doesn't take away from D D. Yeah, exactly. But
3: like,
2: you can still make D and drop like eight books a month. You know what yeah. I mean? But like Hasbro. Hasbro, listen to me, listen to me. Hasbro, listen to me. <laughs> He's shaking the camera, everyone. He's well, we're bringing the camera to my face. Like, look at me, look at me, Hasbro. <laughs> Make another Time. game. You have the money.
0: <laughs> I am the captain now.
2: Yeah, I am the captain now, right? No. Nah, like, like, could I, could I be the captain of Hasbro, please? Like, I would, I would like yeah. that paycheck. <laughs>
0: yeah, let's let it go. Let's let it
2: let in, me. dude. Yeah, it's just like, but like, hey, man, like, if you put out another game, right? just like even if it was like a slightly different genre like just like hey instead of like fantasy european rpg like we we do like i don't know like modern european rpg oh wait they did that it's modern. but <laughs> but you know but like so, let's like just, just, just make another rpg dude hey, you'll, you'll be a, fine i promise you
0: <laughs> there's a game that's just kickstarted i don't know the exact status of it but it's called errant and the creator ava wrote an article on permanent cranial damage which is her blog posting site and she talked about like what does hip-hop fantasy look like right like instead of euro fantasy what does hip-hop fantasy or funk or whatever like what where how can we add a new adjective to the fantasy genre that really changes the game or brings a new perspective to like going beyond mythology right like because a lot of fantasy is tied to mythological readings or extrapolations and even in kaleidoscope for my game i want to explore a modern fantasy where like it is there is no delineation from what Zeus is. There is no delineation from what a Phoenix is. There is no delineation from like a chimera or whatever have you. And making something that just feels a little bit more like within the last 50 years, right? Like something like that.
2: Asterisk raises eyebrow in interest. Asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> Italicized, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Like one of my big goals with kaleidoscope is to bring in a modernization of fantasy tropes. And I guess not to say fantasy tropes because it's like, how do we update the elf? That's not what I want to do. What I want to do is create a space for like this whole conversation stems from another conversation where I was talking with someone about how like they play D D or Euro fantasy centric games. And like, it's hard for me to like name a character because I want, I'm for anyone that doesn't know who's listening to the show, I mixed black and black and white. I think Congo and Swedish to some effect. I don't know. That's what Ancestry.com told me. But I I lean more towards like having a black American culture. And I don't feel like I can find any combination of name that's like produced in a book. Like when I look through the book, I don't want to be Grandar Anvilforge. I don't want to be Vincent etc etc i want more like i don't know marcus jerome jeremy's like like something that has a bit more of a different connotation to it because when we listen to like actual plays on podcasts there's almost this conceit that like you imagine a white skin character before you imagine any other type of character because that's yeah. our cultural baggage right like when someone brings onto the scene I don't know That's a random Ichigo Kurosaki right mm-hmm. like I, I guess it's not but you you know you probably put if they don't know who that is like in an anime they'll probably make that a Europe dude
2: I mean you know what I mean even if you did he's a white hair
0: he's a yeah, white-skinned yeah. dude
2: with red hair like that boy don't look Irish <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah 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 Exactly. It's like you you they're already like it's trying to shift the the cultural baggage around naming conventions and trying to put more POC into my game, essentially.
2: Yeah, like Kurosaki is like about the most.
0: I know it was like not a good example, but I couldn't find like a good name example. I'm sorry, everyone. (laughs)
1: to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
2: <laughs> yeah like oh man but like oof <laughs> you know what I
0: mean like just trying to figure out like how to modernize what it feels like to I'm play like, like a quote still unquote kinda, like, fantasy thinking about
2: like this hip hop fantasy thing cause like, cause like
0: the funny thing is like heavy metal has fantasy tropes right exactly yeah and a lot of fantasy is like delineated from that stuff
2: yeah it's just like uh, it's like heavy metal like you got stuff like like Slayer was originally gonna be named like Dragon Slayer Right. right. Like, Led Zeppelin has, like, a lot of, like, fantasy shit going on. Oh, God. But, like, when you think of, like, heavy metal, like, there's a lot of, like, Grim Reapers and demons and mm-hmm. just, like, like, in power metal, it's, like, dragons and knights and stuff. But, but like, there's really, like... Yeah, I got another one. Oh, my God. I hate you, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> turn them in at that point like (laughs) i'm sorry but yeah edit that out anyway yeah so like in heavy metal like you you have like these 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 clear visual like indicators for like stuff that you could think of like if you do like a metal setting right like like there's like jack black had like a full fantasy metal game that he put out
3: yeah brutal
2: legend legend, right and that shit rips (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like but, like, the cool thing about Brutal Legend was, like, you had these different subgenres of metal that were represented as different fantasy tropes, right? Because mm-hmm. you had, like, that mm-hmm. goth industrial stuff, and mm-hmm. that was more kind of, like, like the um, really gothic... Well, well, yeah, it's goth metal. Of course, it's gothic stuff. Sure, sure, like sure, vampires sure. and darkness and brooding and... My,
0: my metal knowledge is limited at best.
2: I, I am a very big fan of heavy metal and hip-hop. Hell yeah! Like that's that's the two things I listen to the most. I lean more towards metal than hip hop, but like, sure. like I I I can talk about hip hop for, for for quite some time. But like, Love I'm thinking it. it's just like with with hip hop and like rap stuff, like in general, right? Like we don't really delve too much into fantasy shit because we're mm. just kind of more focused on, like, real-life issues, right?
0: Right, Where right. Where metal like, kind of has again.
2: that privilege of just being able to have fun when they feel like it.
0: <laughs> sure, sure.
2: And, like, not that hip-hop does not but, like, we're having fun and we're talking about, like, partying and fucking and shit, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> but, like, there is the occasional kind of, like, like fantasy mm. every once in a while, right? But it tends to be kind of rooted more in, like like, Christian shit.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right
2: which also reminds me of like a blues stuff so i think if you were to build hip-hop fantasy i would kind of tie that into like things that already exist within like blues folklore like interesting where like you have the most prominent example i could think of is just like having deals with the devil like you meet him at the crossroads and Mm -hmm. then like he signs you a contract which, ironically, like, like a really good example of that is in an episode of uh, Metalocalypse, where they learn how to play the blues. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they have to sell their soul to the devil to do it. But, uh, spoiler alert, at the end of the episode, like, because Death is the biggest metal band in the world, like, they've been dealing with contracts and stuff for forever, so they end up basically... Messing with the contract in such a way where they buy the devil's soul for a hot topic <laughs> gift card, <laughs> <laughs> and then keep their blue skills.
0: <laughs>
2: amazing. Yeah, Battle this is a great show. Like, I miss it. But yeah, like so. If you took if you took stuff like that, like particularly that crossroads and like there's Ghost, and like. There's like curses and things, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I think a, a good deal of that kind of goes back into, like, uh, geez, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, because I know I am. Kind of like, uh, voodoo and stuff, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Where it's just kind of like more like island cultures, like island religions and things, mm-hmm. where, like, it's more of like a spiritualism where there's, there's like, like spirits and things like bad spirits
0: Mm. and good spirits sort of an animism sort of thing yeah and you could
2: base things on that and like i could see like a hip-hop fantasy thing being very much about kind of like like black exorcist like kind of like going Mm. around the community and just like helping people with their problems and then like like giving them like blessings and things you know it's just Mm -hmm. like kind of like you could like put ties into like uh into like reggae and stuff, right, and mm-hmm, like the stuff that mm-hmm. they do like in Jamaica or whatever. I I don't know that stuff by name, like because it's, it's not mm-hmm, my thing, mm-hmm. right?
0: Sure, this is sure. just kind of
2: like like cursory knowledge of that yeah. sort of stuff. Spitting um, the
0: ball, spitting the ball. That's what the show's known for.
2: Yeah, you know, it's just like just do 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 stuff like that, right? But yeah, you could you could do myths of like those of like Christian theology and like in voodoo stuff and like other things and then turn that into hip hop stuff because black culture tends to be very spiritual in that mm-hmm. sense. Like we've got like superstitions and stuff, but they don't get talked about too often in like popular mm-hmm. media. But yeah. like growing up, like all the older black folk that I met were really hella superstitious. Mm-hmm. Like there's just stuff that you didn't do, like particularly play tabletop RPGs ironically, but that's the devil's work. <laughs> yep.
0: Um, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. But you know, but like using that as a foundation, and then maybe like subverting some of those things, like blending in a couple other stuff, because like yeah, hip hop itself has grown like outside of the scope of just like like uh, African American culture. Like there's a lot yeah. of folk doing it, right? So yeah. like uh it's it's big pretty much everywhere. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I could see stuff taken from like like Spanish things, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. because, like, like particularly, like, in the early days, like, we had, like, a lot of Puerto Rican folk were, were really big on the, the evolution of hip-hop as it is. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you were to make a game about hip-hop fantasy, I would say I would blend a lot of those aspects I mentioned earlier, blend mm-hmm. them with a bunch of Spanish things. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. Like, and then maybe add just like, like, let's say like Japan is pretty big in hip hop too. Like, not like mm-hmm. on our side of the world, but like they have like a lot of Japanese rappers now. And even just like other Asians that I can't remember their, what parts of Asia they're from. But like folks like Dumbfounded and, mm-hmm. um, in California, like he's like pretty big into indie hip hop stuff. Like I, I would, I would like get cultural consultants from from all over you know
0: yeah it sounds like as you talk about it that constructing at least as a starting point hip-hop fantasy sounds like a very melting pot experience right whereas the traditional like euro fantasy uh, you know there are other countries inside of europe so it's not to say that europe euro fantasy is also not its mixing pot but its own style of mixing pot but i think that as you as you talk about it, it's like there's been an evolution of things. And I think if you kind of break down the roots of hip-hop, you'll find that there are lots of inspirations and sort of a band-together feel of people who have influenced the genre to be what it is today, right? And that's probably true of all music, but just it sounds like, because I think hip-hop is a rather... I know it has, as you said, has influences from bluegrass, but no, I not bluegrass. Think that, it's blues. Oh, I'm sorry. Blues. Excuse me. Yes. You're right. I misspoke, but it has its own. It's a, it's a fairly infant music genre, right? To some effect. It's, it's only like the last hundred years that we've seen it become its own entity. I don't even
2: say a hundred. Is this like the seventies? So like 80, 90, 2000, 2010, like 50 years old.
0: Like I was thinking that it like the it progenitors has acts of like hip hop are still alive.
2: Like the,
0: yeah, <laughs> like some of the, like the some of the oldest
2: people in hip hop are still living. Like that's how young the genre is,
0: right? That's awesome. But it's
2: grown so widely, right? Mm-hmm. Where like mm-hmm. you feel like it's been around forever because like you know fifty years it's still like two generations, right? But yeah. but there's people that didn't grow up before hip hop was around, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just kind of like sunk its uh, teeth into culture at large where everything is influenced by hip hop now. Mm-hmm. You know, which is cool. You know, it's like, hey, you know, it's just like black people kind of took took over the world in one sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: I love but it. It's like that thing that yes. you're doing, all your slang. That's us.
0: Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, I think that's going to push us into the last little bit here. So, just so that you are able to get on with your day, because I'm sure you're a busy man, and you have family over, which is also important. Let's talk a little bit about The Desiccated. I know it's not like a huge game, but sort of, why don't you give a small intro about what The Desiccated is? All
2: right, so The Desiccated was a um, little project I did in the last last hours of the Hot Horror Jam. Like, Mm. oh God, that had to be like a year or two ago now? Yeah, I was up until like right up into the deadline just like designing it last minute and had to be something hot and something horror so i was like deserts and then getting your life force drained away because it's hot or something (laughs) yeah so then but like the main idea was like man like i want to do something with a water bottle Mm -hmm, mm. i loved it yeah so i was like let me let me do a water bottle as the health system
0: (laughs) yes oh it's so good
2: yeah and then uh, you know I added some card mechanics for like random tables and things and like how how many sips that you have to take from your from your water bottle when you fail mm. stuff and eventually like when the water bottle dries out so do you and that's pretty much what it was
0: Yeah it's a it's a game about sort of learning about your like learning about the past of the character you're playing and finding the truth right finding the yeah. truths of your of your past
2: Yeah your character did something particularly messed up right Mm -hmm. and then like you pretty much are just dealing with the guilt one way or the other like do you get out alive like and survive your guilt or does it consume you
3: Mm -hmm. you know
2: and the desiccated itself is is you but Mm -hmm. the spirit like the spirit could be anything but Mm -hmm. like as far as the rules of the game are concerned the spirit feeds on the sweat of the guilty Right. Mm-hmm. So like the the more your character is getting scared and going, oh, crap, like I kind of like really did beat that guy in the alley and take his money. Right. And left mm-hmm. his child there like orphaned, you know, or did I leave the child alive? You know, that's the next yeah, card yeah. draw. Right.
0: Sort of that emergent game, that emergent narrative that happens as you play the game.
2: Yeah. And then the, the story kind of develops like as you're playing it. I mean, like, that's kind of, like, every RPG, but, like, but you don't know what's going to happen. Like, like, you, like, there's, you might have, like, an idea, but the game is going to tell you what happens instead of, like, sure. the GM telling you or something. Like, because mm-hmm. you're, because it's a solo game for the mm-hmm. most part. Like, you can play it with a GM, but. Yeah. But it's kind of more designed for, like, you to just kind of, like, draw the cards and start interpreting things, right? Yeah. And then you drink water so like
0: <laughs> stay play, hydrated. Yeah,
2: play play desiccated. Stay hydrated. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> it seems like it's really it could be really cool to hack with even like cuz it has a very like tarot deck feel to it. So I imagined that like when I was reading it I was like, "Oh, you could totally do like a spread or something too that might like shape the type of story that you're soloing or You could also like shape uh, a multiple players instance, right? Like you could do like a past, present, future spread and be like, okay, your character affected your group's past. Your character is affecting the present and your character is going to affect the future. And it's like that sort of additional like hackability to the game, which is really, really cool. And the the water bottle as health system is like, I'm always a big fan of, what's the word for it? What's the word for it? Sort of this, oh, like the bleed of the game. Right. There's, there's this experience where like, okay, you know, I'm having a good time. My water bottle's filled. Maybe even brought like a gallon jug or some, you know, you wanted to cheese the game and you're like, wait a minute, I'm actually running out of water and we're still not done. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what's going on. So it acts as both like timer and immersive tool, which is really awesome. I think it's a really smart application.
2: Thanks. (laughs) Appreciate that.
0: (laughs) Of course.
2: (laughs) Oh my uh, god! Listen, if people I'm still start new hacking it. Like, what? That would be wild.
0: <laughs> I already hacked it, dude. It's tarot spread. Let's go. <laughs> oh, put it out! Put it out! Put it out! <laughs> <laughs> let it go! I let it go! To play it. Oh, is man. it uh, is this something that you still? You said that this was for a jam about two years ago. Is this something you still play, or it's just kind of like floating out in space? Do you like? It's kind of just know? sitting
2: there now. Like we play tested it after we put it out. And yeah, I played it like twice and it was fun. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely did have that effect that you were saying. where it's just like, oh crap, the water bottle is getting empty.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
2: And it's just like, normally I don't get scared of things like that. Right. Like when I'm, mm-hmm. when I'm playing anything, to be honest, but like, I was like, oh, wow, like that. Yeah, like, I felt feelings. Like <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: It controls how much you're sipping or gulping, right? Like, at first, you're, like, yeah. probably taking big swigs of water, but, like, when it gets to that last core, you're, like... You're, you're like, <laughs> like...
2: Like, I'm just gonna p- take a very polite, like, sip of tea and pull my pinky out a little bit, just, like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> the minimum amount.
2: Like, let me, let me not be, like, too much of a... Like, engorging myself on this. I'm just gonna, you know...
0: Well, this is... We'll be frugal. Just... <laughs> I think it. I think what it nails is that it has really resonant themes that kind of come out through the different ways you've introduced mechanics for the game. And I think it's a really good case study in doing something simple, immersive. It almost like it almost has this LARP bleed to it because of the water bottle situation. So, and when you play it with players, you could like. You can even push the bounce, you know, depending on how comfortable you are at home and, and germs and things like that. But, like, you could share water bottles to keep someone in the game, right? Like, oh, my water bottle is empty. Here, take some of mine. And you can even, like, really expand on that on that process. So I think that's really, really cool. It, it's hackable. It's definitely hackable, my dude.
2: Yeah, we played it with two players one time. And to be honest, I don't remember if I wrote it for multiple players or not. I feel like I wrote it for one but like I said, I wrote that a while ago and it was like over the course of a night. So like, like don't quote me on that.
0: <laughs> heard, heard. Well, amazing. The last bit here, uh, Nick, for the show is yes, sort there. of T. Tea- T L D R design tip. So I'm going to, I should already have my dice out. This wouldn't be a, a dice show without, or this wouldn't, you know, a game design show without some sort of randomizer in my pocket, but I'm going to roll a dice and it doesn't have to, I'm going to ask you for a piece of advice under a category. It does not have to relate to anything we talked about today and feel free to give as much as your experience warrants. So if you're like, Oh, I don't have a lot of experience in that just talk about whatever, you know, maybe you're looking to do or maybe, you know, whatever you've been doing and how you have felt successful with with that. So all right, that is five in whatever experience you have. The category is publishing. So this could be anything from layout to working with publishers or working with book or press release or anything like that. What sort of tip do you have for the listeners out there?
2: Well, oh, geez. You know, the funny thing is I worked with a publisher, but I don't have too much experience doing sure. publishing stuff myself. But what i what I like to say is that just whatever you do, like trust your instincts, don't do anything that you're going to be uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. Like make sure that you read everything when you're doing contracts. Make sure you're getting paid. Right. And if you're on the other end, make sure that you pay your people appropriately. Like don't jump at anything just because it looks good. Like, mm. you might go, oh, wow, like, this seems like a really good really good deal, and then you'll regret it because you didn't do your prep work. Like, um, mm. I like to tell people do their homework when they're doing game design stuff in general, mm. but I think it's even more important when you're dealing with people's time and money. Like, I've made this mistake in the past, like, even recently, right, mm. with, like, art and stuff, right? Like, uh, mm. I pay my artists, you know, like.
3: Mm.
2: but I realized that, like, art's expensive you know? Yeah. And like, I jump at stuff cause like, wow, this is pretty. And I happen to have a couple of dollars to pay for more than one piece, but like mm-hmm. you're like budgeting things for Kickstarter and going, Oh wow. I just wrote a 200 page book. I need like 30 plus pieces. Right.
3: Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm.
2: Like I can't afford 30 <laughs> plus pieces at this rate. I can't even ask for that much, you know, like for, kick- mm-hmm. for, for Kickstarter purposes. Cause you can put like a, like huge ass goal and beer, like a first time Kickstarter, people are going to look at it. Like, why am I going to give you that much money? You know? Sure. But you gotta like do your research, man. Like don't jump into things just cause it looks good. Like make sure it is good before you, before you make decisions, because you might hurt yourself. You might hurt other people. You might hurt your reputation, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So being proactive with learning things and expanding your knowledge on how, how different things works, Will make you safer, and it it helps you respect your yourself and other people's time, and your mm-hmm. efforts. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, this is, it takes experience for everybody, but I think really to to sort of sum up that whole thing is really look at the scope of a project, right, or mm-hmm. of an offer, because a you may not be able to execute on that scope. At, you know if you really dig into it you're like man that's actually gonna take a lot of time or the person pitching it to you may not be realistic about their intentions right you'd be like oh yeah sure that's cool like we can totally you know make this rpg rpg together and then you really look at the skills like wow what you're intending is gonna take like two years and i may not have like the long-term um, time financials commitment to yeah, produce a, a project sprints. like that you know yeah I mean? yeah
2: because like um Doing RPGs, it's a lot of work. Even if you're just doing one pages, yeah. You know, it's like because that's a lot of like conceptual like work that you're doing.
0: Mm-hmm, where you're like, mm-hmm. I feel
2: like um, digging into just like having to come up with a cool idea, and then being able to put it on paper, and then being able to get it so other people understand what the hell you're talking about without mm-hmm, having to mm-hmm. explain other concepts tied to it. Right, which is like yep, why yep. like we were talking about mitts ups earlier in fighting games and stuff. And in like having to express that in a way where players can go, oh cool, cool, that makes sense. You know, what mm-hmm, I mean mm-hmm. without me having to do like a half an interview explaining what a mitz up is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but like that's that's a lot of the work in doing tabletop stuff. So like you, you gotta like be able to like look at it and go, hey, do I have the the time and the capacity to do this at the moment? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Which I feel like we should be paying game dev- designers way more, dude.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, they're the first touch base for the idea, right? Like, after, you know, I just read, who is it? James In- In- Intracaso. Thank you. Yeah, James Intracaso <laughs> is good dude. He, he literally just put out a thread maybe like, a week ago week and a half ago about how like we have to start thinking about you know we think about artists layout designers publishers printing companies and how they're all getting paid but how is the game designer getting paid for their project right like especially when they're reaching out to a publishing company it they already wrote the words and then you're thinking about like paying the editor for per word edited why not pay the designer for like Per word created, you know what I mean. Like that's yeah, still a product like, they're I, handing I, uh, to you to polish.
2: On that end, I wouldn't even pay game devs per word. Yeah, like they, they it should be a per product per mechanic. Um, oh
0: yeah, absolutely. I'm totally like, like a I, I project feel like, size uh, game variable devs should
2: have to be like they. They should be like tiers to that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like if I want to make a simple mechanic where it's just like I'm making just like a class ability or something, which sure. is already tied to a core mechanic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I could do that for cheaper than I could do, like, the core mechanic itself or building a full class or right, right, or right. building, like, a spell or something, right? Like, uh, where I'd have to do more, like, front-loaded work. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Because mm-hmm. if I'm just iterating off of something that's already been done, then, yeah, I'm not going to charge you for as much. But I feel like there should be tiers to, to the complexity of mechanics that, that are built, Right. Like, where Mm -hmm. if I build even just, like, five pages of content, but all that content has to be, like, front-loaded shit, where, like, I don't have anything else to reference, to Mm -hmm. just be like, okay, I can subvert this, and that subversion itself is just a mechanic, it's done, right? So, it's like, if Mm -hmm. your combat system is just, like, roll to attack, and I make something that's just, like, add plus two to attack when I do this, yeah, that's a light, that's a light, that's a light job, right? But if I have to build the fucking
0: attack mechanic, like,
2: that's a heavy Mm -hmm. job, like,
0: pay me more for that. Right, right. Um, I mean, if you think about the comparison to like artists, right, they have pencil sketch $25 mm-hmm. full color bust $65 at which these prices should be much higher for any artist that's listening for sure. I'm just spitballing numbers. Yeah, but and then they're like, you know, full character concept $300, right? Like, there's definitely tiers to how much work and labor go behind certain production of content, depending on your industry in question. Yeah. So i am totally vibe with like, yeah, I'll make a supplemental class for your game and that'll be, I don't know, whatever, 40 bucks. I'll make, a, I'll make a city in your setting or whatever based on your parameters or something. But if you're like, hey, would you design a setting for my game? It's like, well, that's kind of whole cloth. And now we're talking about like the amount of time investment, right? It's about- yeah looking at the scalability of what your time is worth for the project that you're working on.
2: Yeah, man. Cause like you can't, you can't really put like game design into like word counts because like, right. Right. I could do the sleekest, most in-depth system that you've seen in four pages.
0: Right. Ex- right. Exactly. Like if. Played cough, you... cough, the desiccated. <laughs> <laughs> Get that game. Uh, There's this, who do I watch? His name is Chris Doe, and he runs a, a YouTube channel called The Future. He runs a company called The Future in addition to some other things. And he always talks about how you have to break down what is, A, the project worth, and he doesn't really do, like, word count stuff. He does, like, what does he call it? Value pricing. So, like, an example might be, He says he does logo design. So he's like the amount of money that I would charge a mom and pop brick and mortar for their logo is different than if Apple were to approach me to redesign their logo. I'm still a great logo designer, but I charge that mom and pop shop for a sandwich because that's what it's worth to them. Whereas Apple is putting it on all of their products, all their boxing, all their purchasing, like all their marketing. So like, that's, that's a $10 million job. Are you willing to shell out the $10 million for me to handle the weight of that project? Right? So You're paying for my expertise, you're paying for my knowledge, you're paying for my portfolio, you're paying for all these things that are attached to me, and that's why you're coming to me. You're coming to me for my expertise in this field, right? If we talk about game design, you know, people come to me because I am the platinum games of tabletop design. You know, I make really great action-oriented cinematic combat. So if you're coming to me for that. Yeah, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like if if that's my specialty and you're like, man, this guy always comes with really innovative combat mechanics for cinematic style games, I would love to work with you. Cool. What's the scope of the project? Because you're paying, you're asking for my expertise in this field. Now that again, that value proposition might be different if you're like, hey, I know you do really great at combat mechanics, because you do something tangential to like weapon systems design, right? little less my field maybe that project is a little bit smaller that i take on and it's like okay that might cost a little less right but this is just like a tangential conversation of like you talking about there should be tiers of play tiers of dollar amount for what you're working on right and how to delineate how that makes sense to charge someone and how to how to pay game designers what they're worth right if you're coming to oh shit you know john harper to sort of like delineate a new blades in the dark in partnership with you what does that cost right yeah
2: like i feel like a dude like john harper should be paid even more
0: sure yeah i mean he's got um, he's got the pedigree he's got the eyeballs right it's like
2: because like because like if you look at john harper right john harper did like not only blades in the dark but he did lady blackbird right
0: Yeah, and Aegon and stuff like that. Yeah,
2: but like just like like Lady Blackbird or even like Lasers and Felix, Mm
0: -hmm. like
2: because he did Lasers and Felix too, right? Which gets Mm -hmm. hacked by friggin' everybody, like almost as much as PBTA does, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If you're not doing a PBTA hack, you probably did a Lasers and Felix hack. So shout out to John Harper again, (laughs) like (laughs) like third time we mentioned this dude, right? But like with with Harper, like he does his his graphic design. And his layout and all that stuff, and it's Mm -hmm. gorgeous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, like if you pull up that Lasers and Feelings document, that shit is sleek. If you look at Mm -hmm. Lady Blackbird, that shit is sleek. Right, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it's 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 beautiful, and that's on top of his abilities as a game designer.
0: Like, right, like John should be demanding
2: like a lot of money, like for the stuff that he does. Right, right. Like, he's a big name with a lot of hats, and they're big hats.
3: <laughs> they're
2: big mm-hmm. fancy hats of feathers and ribbons, dude. Like, that guy should be like, look, man, I won't even do this one-pager unless you pay me, like, two grand or, or something like that, right? You mm-hmm. know, like, like, fuck a word count, man. It's like, I'm John fucking Harper, bro.
0: <laughs> I think what's important to say here about, about this specific part of the conversation is that what it really boils down to because a lot of people are willing to do stuff for free because they like the game design indie community and they want to boost and support and raise ships and things like that. So it's not always about the money game, but I think it's important to think about like when you are approaching someone to collaborate with you, to help you with your own product, or when someone approaches you just think about the touch points at which they're asking you, right? Like, you you also have the ability to say no to things. You also have the ability to command what you're worth, right? You you should never be at the beck and call of any job. I know that a lot of people out there think about like, "Man, how am I going to make my next 50 bucks?" and then like a 50 buck offer or a job comes to you that has like a much grander scope. You don't have to take that because you know what? Realistically, you were already thinking about how you were going to make it this month without that $50. So like when someone approaches you and says like, Hey, will you do a full character concept for 50 bucks for me? You don't have to like scratch at that. That, And that's what, that has a lot of like anxiety, nervousness, your own capacity to take on that stuff. But you should always feel empowered that you are a smarter person than any dollar sign. And you are worth far more than I'm sure you're putting out there.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like game devs should be, like, charging. Like, just, like, artists should be charging. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I want everyone to make money. I want everyone to have game design as a job. And we just, it takes changing our perception of the industry.
2: I feel like the problem, though, is that game design doesn't get valued, like, at all, really. You know, like, we we have mechanics don't matter arguments. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's just, like, all of the work I've done is just a vehicle for everybody else to, like, charge me for stuff so i can put out my mm-hmm. mechanics you know what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm a little bit salty about that because like mm-hmm. i'm not getting paid for this like I'm, yeah like i have really for for tidebreaker just to pay for everybody else for the most part right you know right. What i mean but like no i'd
0: super get that yeah i
2: was like i would like to get paid
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you yeah, know that's that's what the
2: kickstarters were right like uh yeah all right stretch to goals. some effect yeah stre- one of the stretch goals is going to be pay nick
0: <laughs> like get him his money <laughs>
2: like make sure i get paid and then the rest of the money is just kind of for like getting the game made <laughs> yeah
0: yeah you know but like
2: uh, I, I wish that like we were valued enough where people could just be like hey man like i saw what you did on the desiccated i saw what you did on, on apocalypse world I saw what you mm-hmm. did on a lady blackbird you know what i'm saying like
3: mm-hmm.
2: these are great mechanics that we could build like like our platforms on we can make flagship titles based on these mechanics you yeah. see the value in that here's like x amount of dollars you know but i feel like that doesn't happen enough you know mm-hmm. because like if your game's not fun it doesn't matter if the art's good or mm-hmm. if or if <laughs> your setting that's attached to it's good you know because mm-hmm. people can just buy an art book because mm-hmm. like art absolutely have value art's probably yeah. the most yeah. valuable thing in gaming you know like if it doesn't look good people don't care but it's like, one of the
0: first touch points for someone to like even want to crack yeah the book.
2: like they're gonna see that and they're gonna go oh wow like this knight in shining armor like is going to draw me into the game like uh my homie tabletop crow like he put out a game called perilous and i was like i want to buy that because the cover had a black dude in in, mm-hmm, in play mm-hmm. armor and i was like wow that's so cool and then i wanted to look yeah, at it yeah you know what i mean but like if i were to play that and i found out it was whack it's probably not because jordan makes great games but uh, and like he funded he funded like way over his uh, his goal so i'm pretty sure it's good you know but like if that game was whack i would just tell everybody it's whack and then i wouldn't buy anything jordan made anymore
0: sure you know yeah I mean? and that has that has like repercussional stuff i mean here's something i think that's important to touch on with that comment is that partially games are an art form of media and art is very subjective to everyone so like what one person finds fun might not be another person's fun right me and my my partner grace is is an artist and we constantly have conversations about how like while you feel this one way about the mona lisa someone else feels this way about the mona lisa because at the end of the day there is no like it's hard to objectively talk about art form mediums because they don't serve a specific functional purpose. Right. They have like an entertainment and an emotional value. But like an apple is objectively a good thing because it sustains me. Right. I can eat it, sustain it. And that's the value that it has on it. But when you talk about the Mona Lisa, it has value based on history and conjecture and inspiration and lineage and legacy and all this stuff. And it's like, but, but what function does it serve? Right. So that's why art and even games have such a fluctuating price base that like what you may pay $500 for, right. Someone else isn't going to pay a cent for.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I feel like there's levels to it too, though. Yeah. You know, like there's, I, I can't like, put my thumb on. there's a ton of nuance
0: and complexity that goes beyond what what we're saying anything is like
2: a bad mechanic you know i mean but there's definitely mechanics like wow that's really good you know like even if it's not for me like this mechanic is amazing you know
0: what i'm saying i mean yeah we talk about you know forge in the dark hacks we talk about pbta hacks right so like yeah those things obviously resonate on a wide scale or they they hit some pain point that people are like man this solves my problem yeah so or i just love problems. this so much like that i just need to tweak it a little bit
2: a friggin 2d sits table that solves like everything like it's powerpoint yeah. apocalypse that's amazing like i'd pay like ten thousand grand ten thousand dollars for that or something like for, for making right. make, make right. thing like that for me you know what i'm saying like if i had it
0: <laughs> yeah 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 But yeah. like
2: that's a that's a big mechanic mm-hmm. <laughs> like it that's does a, big a lot of things. that went wide
0: And you know, it does, it does help to some effect bring back in dollars, right? Because some people get curious about, oh, this is, oh shit. What do I have back here? I don't even have like a 2d6 game on my shelf that I can call to right now. Forge in the Dark, right? I got, I got Band of Blades first. I didn't get Blades in the Dark first, but Band of Blades made me buy Blades in the Dark because I wanted to see what the original had to say, right? So it's about when you when that research brain kicks on you're like oh i want to dig a little deeper yeah show me the source material having having
2: mechanics that can be portable and expandable easily is just like that's there's a lot of value in that right so it's Mm -hmm. just like
0: scalable right yeah
2: scalable stuff right like because like if you play rpgs you know, motherfuckers like scaling. <laughs> Get that extra damage. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. put some more stats in. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's the same thing for just being able to, like, easily put out supplemental material based on the stuff that you've already did. And, like, other, other like, designers and writers and things can be able to take your stuff and go, okay, cool, I can build off this.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And if you're a designer that can make things like that, where people can go okay this is mad easy to hack right Mm -hmm. that should be something that cues in people to be like i'm paying for that you know what i
0: mean it's it's all about that back and forth too it's like your system helped me build my game so i credit your system to Feed that feedback that loop, right? Like we create this loop of like, if you like blades in the dark, try these other Forge in the dark materials, right? Or mm-hmm. if you like band of blades, here's the source book that it's credited to. So it's yeah. sort of like feeding back into each other, which is really interesting. And then, you know, again, we get back into the art conversation of like, well, what kind of setting do you like? And what, how does it change the mechanics and bleed, do, 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 blah, blah, yeah. blah,
2: right? And all the discourse things and the vocab that we've built over exactly. the last couple of years, and blah blah blah. Yeah. but like yeah, you know, yeah. like mechanics have way more value than the average person like mm-hmm. gives credit to. But yeah. I, I yeah. think that publishers and other like writers and stuff, of course like if you are like a setting writer, but you want a game attached to your to your thing, it's just mm-hmm. like pay somebody like me to to make that for you. Like mm-hmm. write your mm-hmm. setting, and just like hey, I want to run that on tiebreaker you know but like you know like we we should start having more conversations about what mechanics are worth
0: and yeah licensing and stuff like that
2: yeah and like i promise you it ain't no damn per word count
0: <laughs> like, sure, you sure. put,
2: like actual dollar values like
0: yeah i fully admit that the word that. word count situation is archaic and needs to be kicked kick the can it was just the first traditional thing that came to mind
2: Yeah. But I mean, like it's the thing that people go to because that's the thing everyone's familiar with, you know, but like, I think that like we should have like a scalable solution that uh, starts with like a net pay, like, like just a straight, Mm -hmm. straight up, like, Hey man, like we're going to start you off at five grand. And then like, every time something comes out, we're going to give you some more money. Like
0: sure. Yeah.
2: Like that. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, yeah, that's all I got on that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Great tip. Well, with that, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It's been a great time. I've had a blast hanging out with you. Once again, would you plug yourself, tell people where they can find you, where they can find your games. All of these all these little tidbits Nick are about is about to throw out will be in the show notes for your access.
2: Word up. All right, yeah, man, I'm Nick Butler. Thanks for listening to me um, babble about, like, Street Fighter and stuff. You can find me at FallOnMyBlade on Twitter, tiebreakerrpg.com. That's where you can get Tiebreaker early assets. Help me pay for my art and stuff. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, I'd appreciate it. Thanks for the love. If you want to get to desiccate it, that is fallonmyblade.itch.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like however itch does their stuff, I don't use my itch very often, but you can get the desiccated there. That That is actually pay what you want. So you can cop that for free or you could give me three bucks because that's the suggested price. If you want to give me more, I'd appreciate it. I'm going to put that towards future projects. If you want to hire me for anything, it's Nick Butler at tidebreakerrpg.com. You can find me there too. I mean, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Discord. Just holler at your boy. You know, be nice to yourselves. <laughs> keep it heroic. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag keep it heroic. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hell Yeah. Keep it heroic, everyone. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. I had a great time listening, Nick, and learning a lot. And I hope you did, too. And we will see you on the next episode. Say bye to the people, Nick. Deuces! <laughs> Deuces! Deuces! <laughs> all right, that's a wrap. Nick, thank you for nerding out with me on the show about all the things we can do with modern game design and caring about creators out there. All the games we talked about today, along with all the links to get in touch with Nick, will be down below in the show notes for your access. If you liked the show and found it helpful, send a tip my way by following the link tree in the show notes to my Ko-fi or Venmo profiles. Or, if you are unable to provide monetary support, you can provide support at no cost by sharing this with someone you thought of while listening to this episode and leaving a review. Both of these methods greatly impact the success of this show and let me know that what I'm doing is beneficial to designers out there. If you want to be a part of the conversation or hang out with alumni from the show like Nick, you can join the DYD House Discord server. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time.